Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Well, it hardly seems a week goes by and it's time for another Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff and here I am sitting in the luxurious corner booth with my good friend Tom Dorian. And we've also got our good friend, above average Catholic, Bill Drennan here. Bill, welcome. Thank you for having me again. Well, this is a wonderful, wonderful pleasure. And what we decided to do in today's show, Tom, if you'll agree with us. I always agree with you. I, I don't know about that. I'm your yes man. We are going to answer some more questions. Uh, people have, these are good questions that people have either emailed to us or they have uh, asked us while in line at the shopping center of getting <laughs> all kinds of questions. Well, I got a couple. That, one of these I got in front of an Exxon station. Did you really? Yes. And uh, another one I got while making a presentation at a church. Before you jump in, though, yeah, we have to mention this special coffee cup. Yeah, what's up with that coffee that cup? Annabelle brought by. Annabelle brought it. She put her name on it. <laughs> she wants us to mention her. They're, they're starting to bring their own coffee cups. To uh, make Just sure to get we get plug. their name, they are plug. starting to feel very comfortable. Yeah, we're st- we got quite a collection going, don't we? Yeah, we absolutely do. Yeah. All right. Well, wonderful. So let's start right off the bat. We've got a, an email that came from Elizabeth, and she's in Tennessee. Why is it okay to eat fish on Fridays of Lent, but not other meat? Wow. Okay, that's a good question. Above average Catholic bill. <laughs> here it comes. You have a thought here? I, I have a little bit of a thought. Um, you know, just that meat, uh, I know way back uh, early on, it was just more of a luxury, and we, it was something very, very special. So to, um, you know, to give that up was a sacrifice, was truly a sacrifice. You know, essentially, that's right. And I think that uh, we're a church of great tradition. We come from way back. And, and way back 2,000 years ago, to eat a steak was living high on the cow because <laughs> yeah. you can't say hi and all. Bad. But the point is, you you could eat meat, what they called flesh, and that was that was more rare. More common in that region was fish. Everybody could take a pole and go out and go fishing. And so that was a much more common experience was to eat fish. And so it was a truly, it was a sacrifice. Now, whether we still have that situation now or not is not really of import. What's most important, I think, is that we remember why we're doing what we do during Lent. This is the time that we're sacrificing. We're giving something up. We're uh, denying ourselves the earthly pleasures so that we can fill ourselves with the spiritual goodness of God. We're preparing ourselves for the coming Savior. And by denying ourselves, by going out into the desert, that's definitely a way we can do that. And so we as Catholics, through tradition, have always given up meat on the Fridays during Lent. Is that the Exxon question? No, that wasn't the Exxon question. That was an email from Elizabeth, remember? No, here is the Exxon question. The Exxon question is, uh, does revelation from God continue in the present time? That is a heavy-duty heavy question. Duty. Yeah, and how do you get... Especially in front of Exxon. Well, there are people who think deep thoughts going in to pay for their gasoline. <laughs> uh, I see that. Well, he happened to see me in my clerics. I was coming from having uh, taught a religion class, and he came and he saw me in my clerics. He said, excuse me, are you a Catholic? You know, you have to go to confession for that. I know why you were in Exxon. You're getting a Krispy Kreme donut. A Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> that's not a 
That's not a sin to eat a Krispy Kreme donut. That's true. Maybe during Lent if you've given if up sweets. If you've given it up. <laughs> <laughs> but let me just say that his question was great. Does revelation continue? And you know what? If you look around the world today, you're constantly inundated with churches that tell you that they were formed because God told them this. Or God said this. God spoke to somebody and said that. And so, as Catholics, the way we understand this is that does revelation still exist? Does revelation from God still exist? And the answer is absolutely yes and absolutely Absolutely no. no. That's exactly right. It's one of those yes and no answers, and we'll explain. Yes, because God can always reveal himself to us. He can reveal himself in a way. He can speak to your heart. He can tell you to do something. And you can listen. If you're open to that, if you're open to the promptings of God, especially through the Holy Spirit or while sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament, yes, God reveals himself to you in that respect. However, we call that private revelation. So sometimes you'll read about these things where a certain holy person received a message from Christ or received some specific list of things that needed to be done from God, and that would be called private revelation. And what that means is, as a church, we believe that all public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle, which was about 100 A.D. or so, and that was John. Because they were the last ones that basically walked, talked, lived, experienced Jesus in such a close way, and they were capable of letting us know of the things that Jesus taught. Because obviously Jesus was the ultimate revelation of God to us. I mean, he was the word made flesh. He was God become man. And so he was, is revelation to us, right? And so when Jesus' time on this earth as a living, breathing man passed, and then he ascended into heaven and left the church to these apostles, those apostles that witnessed Christ in all of those Uh, wonderful actions that he took and wonderful words that he said, they were the last public revelation. And basically, we teach as a church that when that last apostle died, there was nothing new that we were going to learn. Now, what does that mean to us? Does that mean that what is being said in private revelation is not important? What are your thoughts? No, it's, um, it's just continuing on what probably God has already revealed through, through Christ and through the, the apostles and making it, you know, maybe more specific to that person. The key there is it may be important, but it's not necessary. That's the important thing is God revealed everything that we need to know to go and live with him for all eternity through the apostles. Everything we needed to know was revealed at that time. So the churches today that say, well, God has spoken to us and we as a church believe now that we need to do this or that we need to wear this, or that we need to marry this, or we need all the different rules and regulations that supposedly have come from God. We as a church, as a Catholic church, teach that God did that. He did that 2,000 years ago. And now what happens is there are times when God will speak to individuals, and those individuals can help us, guide us. They can offer us spiritual guidance. And so that's a good thing, but it's not a necessary thing. So that's an important distinction. So that's why we believe that divine revelation does and does not happen still. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, it kind of made sense to the uh, guy while I was eating my donut in front of Exxon. Yeah. Because it took about 20 minutes. <laughs> Did it really take 20 minutes? Well, you know, that's a long conversation. Oh, it's a big donut. <laughs> All right, so here's another question we have. We have this question, 
Why does the process of becoming Catholic take such a long time? Christ never made his disciples take classes or know anything before they followed him. They didn't even understand what Eucharist was. Now, that's actually a very insightful question. And I got that while I was making a presentation to a church. Someone gave me that question and said, this is something I want to know. And I think it was probably somebody who went through RCIA. Because our RCIA process takes about six months. And it's been shortened, right? It used to be much longer. It was like three years. But the point is, there used to be a longer more intensive instruction that went on. You know, another church might say, well, you're baptized and you're in and we'll teach you as we go. Yeah. But the Catholic Church doesn't operate that way. And so why is it different now than it was then? If Jesus didn't make it happen, then why do we have to do it now? What would be the guess? Well, my guess is that you're you're learning some heavy-duty stuff. I mean, you're learning about the Eucharist. Uh, you're learning about the other sacraments. And, and it takes it takes a while to, to grasp some of those concepts and how it all fits together, and you can't do that in just one one setting. But why would you have to learn all that stuff before you became a Catholic? Why couldn't you sort of become a Catholic and then start learning that stuff? Probably because there's some discerning going on. You know, is this something I really believe? Yeah. The other the other thing we were talking about uh, earlier was just the changes in our lives. You know, over the last five years, my life specifically, and and I think this process in a, in a similar type way has to happen for people becoming Catholic. You know, it's just it just it doesn't happen with the snap of a finger, but it's a it's a multiple conversions and understanding and uh, being able to put it to work. And that's a very good point. We're never totally fully converted to the truth. We're always in a state of conversion. Our hearts are always seeking God. We're always sort of seeking, but at the same time, we're always failing and we're always picking ourselves back up again. We're in a constant state of conversion, so we never learn it all. But the length that people come together for RCIA, which means Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, for that process to become Catholic, the reason why it's so long is because before you become Catholic, before you can become part of a unified whole, you have to know what that unified whole believes and teaches. I've actually had people in classes decide in the process that maybe this wasn't for them or they weren't ready yet. And the church wants to make sure that before you commit to something like that, before you say, yes, I believe, you got to know what we believe. And so it starts at salvation history. It starts at the beginning with God's revelation to the Jews, his covenant with the Jewish people, and goes all the way through our understandings and teachings of the church today, through all of the councils, through all of the process. And all of that stuff is necessary for belief. You can't say, I believe in something I think that you teach, you have to know what's being taught, don't you? Yes. And, of course, the reason why they didn't do it back then was because Jesus was the RCIA teacher. And he was probably a pretty good teacher. You I'm know? thinking he was pretty good. Yeah, I'm thinking he uh, probably didn't need to worry about... Uh, I would have know. preferred him over you. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, don't, I don't take offense at that. Okay, good. That was Tom Dorian. Mark that one down for Tom Dorian. <laughs> All right, so wonderful. So we have more questions to answer, and we're going to answer those as soon as we come back. Uh, But before we do that, we want to remind people we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. won't tell you anything about it. You need to go and experience it, and you'll know all about it then. Also, want you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So do that. You can go ahead and email me now during the break, and we'll, uh, we'll come back in just a minute. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. 
how do we determine that we are following God's will? Perhaps if it is virtuous, then God wants us to do it. But if it is a pious, good, and virtuous act, is that enough to tell us that God has willed it to be done, and it is what he wants for us? This can get tricky. But St. Ignatius of Loyola can help. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a Spanish saint born in the late 15th century who became the principal founder and the first superior general of the Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits. St. Ignatius devised a simple test for determining God's will in our lives. He tells us that we must look at the fruits of what we are doing. That will tell us whether or not God willed it to be done. If it has good fruits, peace, harmony, and happiness, then it is more likely that we are following the will of God. If it has bad fruits, discord, pain, and disharmony, then it is more likely that we are not properly discerning God's will in our lives. A man wakes at 4 a.m. every day and spends four hours in prayer, which would ordinarily be viewed as a virtuous act. But if he is married, he may encounter a wife who becomes angered by the fact that he is no longer helping her get the household ready for the day, making breakfast and bathing and dressing the children. St. Ignatius would tell us that because of the bad fruits of his morning ritual, the upset wife, the disharmony in the household, the man might be being influenced by the evil one, Satan, who often comes to us in the guise of light. St. Ignatius would suggest that if the same man prayed the same amount, but at times of the day more in accord with his family's schedule, the fruits might very well include a more harmonious household and a happier wife. Thus, St. Ignatius would tell us that this was truly following the will of God. So often in our daily lives, we need affirmation that the road we have chosen was indeed the one that God had intended us to take. While the world may tell us one thing about the choices we make, the fruits of those choices cannot lie. We need only to take the time to examine our actions and their results to determine if God was truly served in carrying them out. Because of his life dedicated to the good fruits of a faith-filled life in Christ, St. Ignatius was canonized a saint in the year 1622. His feast day is July 31st. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. We're continuing on our discussion of all these good questions that good people have asked me and Tom and others uh, while we're out exercising our ministry. And so here is another question I got, and we're going to let above average Catholic Bill answer this one. Why did Christ not reveal himself to the whole world, just to the Jews? Go ahead and tell us now. Right now? (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough one. You know, I think he had to start somewhere. And we we don't know the mind of Christ. Um, You know, I think he he had to pick a group of people, and I don't know. Well, that's, you know what, there's some little pearls of wisdom there. Very little. I'm not saying that I know the answer, because I think, in reality, I think when we all die... One of the nice things we're going to get to do is ask Jesus 
Did someone really ask you this question, or did you just make this No, up? this was a question that was handed in on a piece of paper. You know, a lot of times when we do the talks, we'll say, a lot of people are embarrassed to raise their hand and ask a question. Yeah. And so we'll say, we'll give them a piece of paper and say, write down your question. And this was a question that was, was asked. These are deep questions. Why did God reveal himself to the Jews? And what's with the Jews? Well, they were the cho- they are the chosen people. Why did he choose them? Why didn't yeah, why he choose somebody else? I mean, why, did, why didn't he choose somebody else? I don't know. Ask Jesus. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. No, uh, you know, I think, though, if, if uh, well, if, if you'll allow me, I'll offer an opinion. And I think it's along the lines of yours. We'll allow Bill. you. And I think that, that, that really it's, uh, you know, he had to start somewhere. God revealed himself as a God that loves covenants. He was making covenants with Adam and Eve. He made covenants with Moses. He made covenants with Abraham. Of course, Jesus is the new covenant, but... Every time he's totally giving himself and, and putting himself on the line and saying, I will do everything for you. I will not renege on this particular covenant. You know, now, we let him down a lot, but God loves to have that relationship with the people. And he chose the Jewish people to start his covenant with. His chosen people are the Jews. And the Catholic Church still teaches today that the Jews are the chosen people. Now, some have not come to hear the name of Jesus and understand that Jesus is God. But at the same time, there's still a special place in God's heart for those chosen people, for the Jews. I think also if you look at this from a, as you were saying earlier, Bill, that, you know, he had to start somewhere. Well, there's a lot of wisdom in starting small and letting the momentum of the truth sort of build. And then you have this great movement that people can get can latch on to and that becomes what they call today a grassroots movement you know it comes from it comes from the bottom and bubbles up to the top and then people will definitely jump on board when they see that does that sound logical that sounds yes did you, good. did you talk about this in an earlier show or, or some somewhere i heard this about no, I actually borrow and steal from other sources, so you probably heard it somewhere I probably more heard, reputable than this show. So I heard it from somewhere else. But, you know, he didn't – God did not pick a very uh, prominent people. I mean, he didn't pick the Greeks or you – know, and at the time, I think the, the, the Jewish people were shepherds, right? And uh, nomadic. They were a simple people. They were in captivity. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's some wisdom there, too, I think. That's actually pretty insightful because yeah. when Jesus came, when Jesus became man, people were expecting the Messiah to be this great military leader to ride in with an army and and right. and to free them from captivity to end the Roman persecution. But that's not what they got. They got Jesus instead. So they were looking for one thing and got a different thing. So maybe this is another way that God was sort of working right. in a way that might be more subtle, that would be more to the truth of what he wanted to be taught and believed about himself so that people would be able to understand the truth and not what a certain people like maybe the Greeks or someone like that thought of a god or gods. Because there were many gods at that time, but no, but only one god. And if if you were... Uh, if we were a visible people, we're on the radio now, but you'd see small g and capital G being used when I talk about gods and God. Right. So let's move on. This next email I'm going to read is actually, I'm going to read, this is a longer email. I want you to bear with me. This particular one You're comes. You're going to read the whole thing? I'm going to read most of it. Wow. This is a good email. It is. 
My name is Samuel. I'm a Spanish cradle and fired-up Catholic, and I have sent you this message to thank you very much for the Catholic Cafe. I sound like Casey Kasem on the American you Top do. 40, don't I? Yeah, I keep going. I came across your podcast randomly some three weeks ago. I saw the Catholic Cafe podcast and downloaded one talk. I totally loved it. It was exactly what I was needing at the moment. All those so well-based references to the Holy Scripture and all those interesting points make me listen to you constantly. As I said, I'm Spanish and live in Spain currently. I'm deeply sorry to say that we're in a great need to do something here in the Catholic Church as people just get the wrong way of what being a follower of Christ is. I would like to take the advantage of this opportunity to ask for your opinion about something I'm sure you're pretty acquainted with. What is the first thing you would say a person should think of if they were starting to consider the possibility of becoming a deacon? He goes on to say, I truly wish the Lord may use me to make things like the Catholic Cafe possible in Spain in the future. We definitely need things like this to make youngsters realize that being a Catholic is actually cool. I'm 22 years old. I've got one year left to finish my degree, and I try very hard to be a good example of Christ in this environment. Can't really say I always achieve it, but at least the Almighty Father knows how hard I try. All God's blessings, Samuel. So I was blown away when I got this email. We're an international show now. Well, okay, international, that's all great. But let me just say that I was really blown away when I got this email because... This this guy gets it. Young yeah, guy. 22. He's 22. And They're you know 22. what? The thing was, when I was reading the email, it sounded very insightful. And I thought, well, this is obviously somebody having going through sort of a middle-aged crisis. You know, someone like me in his 40s thinking, well, maybe I need to do live a better life, etc. This is a kid that gets it. Yeah. And I love some of the phrases he uses. Now, obviously, this is... Spanish is his first language, and he does a wonderful, beautiful job of speaking in English here. But he wants to make youngsters realize that being a Catholic is actually cool. And he talks about uh, living, being a good example of Christ in his environment. He talks about trying to achieve this, but he knows that God knows how hard he tries. Those are beautiful sentiments. They're now, wonderful. To, to his question, he actually asked a question there about what would you think about becoming a deacon and i'll answer you samuel by saying that to become a deacon is a calling and we have to be quiet and we have to listen to god we have to discern our calling understand what a deacon is what a deacon does find out do some reading and then discern it think about it pray about it ask god for a little more clarification and and a little more direction and i think he'll give it to you and based on your email, it sounds like he's giving you some great direction as it is, and I think you've picked up on that. Do you guys feel that way about what uh, Samuel has written? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What are your thoughts about Samuel? Yeah, it, like I was saying, just in what you pointed out, too, just being such a young guy to have those thoughts and ideas, um, it's pretty impressive. And must be he, he, he's very mature in his faith. The way, the way he writes. And he talks yeah. about being in Spain, and he talks about having problems in Spain, and he's actually apologizing to saying they're in need of something great in Spain. And, you know, Europe is going through some tough times for the church right now. But you know what, Samuel, I'm going to tell you, we got the same problems here in the United States. Don't think you're alone on that, buddy. And I think the answer to all of that is what you're expressing here is living the faith. Right. You are finding out what the Catholic Church teaches. And you're living it. You're applying it to your life, and you're making it part of your life. And I think that's what God sees, and that's what God probably appreciates the most. Oh, yeah. And seeing a guy like Samuel, that's, those kind of guys really inspire me. 
you know, getting your mid to late 40s and you see a young guy like that, that's that to me is inspirational. Yeah, he can talk about being inspired by this show or whatever, but really, man, this oh, is where one. the ministry the minister gets ministered to. Absolutely. And I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful sentiment there. It as is well. a wonderful, wonderful sentiment. And I think too what he said, you know, we, we all not all, but a lot of us, you know, we crave to learn more and we you know, we want to be able to put our faith into practice. And I just hear that in that email coming out. He he, he wants to do that. So how do you learn more? How do we tell Samuel to learn more about your faith? I don't have the answer. I'm waiting for you guys read, to answer. Read, read, listen, what, study, talk to read others, the church fathers, listen to listen to uh, the Catholic Cafe. No, th- th- there's a whole variety of different ways, but it's it's just an ongoing pursuit, and to you know, kind of like what we talk about in Curcio, you know, try to figure out the best things to read. So often today in the United States, I don't know what it's like in Spain, but in the United States, so often our adult Catholics or our supposedly formed Catholics, the only formation they're really getting right now is going to Mass. Going to Mass is a good thing. It's a great thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a necessary thing. But really the only formation they're getting is the homily. So for 8 to 10 minutes every Sunday, they're getting a message. Not enough. And Matthew Kelly talks about that in his book. Rediscovering, uh, rediscovering Catholicism. Catholicism. He says, Great you know, don't, don't just do the minimal things you have to do to practice your faith. Go, go the extra step, which is reading, praying more, studying, acting out your, your faith. And, um, and that's also what we learned in uh, Curcio is um, prayer, study, action, uh, which, by the way, originated in Spain. There you go. See, Samuel, you've got some great words of wisdom from Tom Dorian and Above Average Catholic Bill. And so, Samuel, we thank you for that wonderful email, and we wish you the wonderful. best, and we uh, hope that God will continue to bless you as he already has. But we see some great things for the church in Spain from folks like Samuel, so that's a wonderful thing. And we hope that people at home have uh, enjoyed this brief bit of time uh, gallivanting through the, uh, through the uh, various emails and questions that we've gotten. We love to do these kind of shows where we just kind of hop, skip, and jump. Chit-chat. That's right. Uh, about what the Catholic Church teaches. It's fun for us, and I hope it's as much fun for you at home. So, Tom, help us rate this show. You know, I, I think on a scale of 0 to 16, I'd have to give it a 16. 16 stars. 16 stars. You know, this is the first time we've had a guest get 16 stars. You said that last week. But that was for 8 stars. <laughs> well, I think it's awesome that we have 16 stars on this show. I Thank you too. for rating us. You're welcome. So let's end in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you gave us the gift of faith that we may come to love you. You gave us the gift of reason that we may come to know you. Help us to seek you. Tear down for us the walls of doubt. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And those bells brought courtesy of the church across the street from the cafe. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.